0: of Thought in Terran Literature, Second Year Classics, Harvard University. Wow.
1: Whoa. Whoa, you okay down there? Need a hand? Uh, yeah, actually, can you hand me that power strip? Oh, yeah. Here. Thanks. Okay, I just, I've never recorded anything before, so this is a little above
0: my pay grade. Okay everybody, let's all get settled down. Uh, Since this is the last meeting of our summer trimester, I just wanted to remind you that you need to get those thesis papers in. Yes, I'm looking at you, Chris. <laughs> um, also, I don't know if any of you saw it, but there's been a really a fascinating discovery in Fushan, China. Did anyone see that? They found a temple and possibly more at the bottom of Fushan Lake, which is a huge, huge, very deep lake. Um, I'll put a link on the website, but you should take a look at it. It's Really amazing stuff Okay, Uh, I'm very excited to introduce you to one of our colleagues from the music department Professor Dev Engstrom Uh, One of Dev's students came across the picture of the carvings in the Idiot King's Palace and his interest was piqued Professor Engstrom, do you want to explain it from there?
1: Yes, thanks I'm a little out of my usual fishbowl here. I'll have to explain some basic information about rhythm and melodic structures in order to show you all how we got here, but if you can follow, I think you'll find it extremely interesting, or at least I hope you will, because I certainly do. The short version is this. Um, In the characters carved on the western wall of this chamber, there are indications that certain glyphs have an emphasis It wasn't discernible to the naked eye, but when the archeology span department rendered a 3D image of the wall, became more obvious that certain characters are carved about five millimeters deeper than the others. So if we simplify the image and look at the grid of characters in the carving, you see this. And if we look at that same image with only the emphasized characters, and those blank lines represent the characters that weren't carved as deep, Right? So we have emphasized spots on the grid and non-emphasized spots. Not exactly fascinating yet. But here's where it gets a bit more technical. Uh, Has anyone heard of Euclidean rhythms? No? I didn't think so, but that's fine. That's normal. Okay, so this was discovered not that long ago by Godfrey Toussaint. In 2004, he published a paper and what he proposed is that by following a simple algorithm, we can recreate almost every single basic rhythmic pattern that humans have been using across cultures and across history. A strange exception is in Indian classical music, but all the other traditional musical rhythms of the world, they all follow this basic structure. So let's look at the basic computation of Euclidean rhythm. Well, this is... Easier to hear than describe, but let's outline the parameters. The three elements to the Euclidean pattern are steps, fill, and rotation. And you can think of steps as empty slots. In most contemporary Western music, we're working in music with four steps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Right? So for now, let's use that. We'll double it. So it's two bars or eight steps. Now the fill parameter, that's how many of these empty steps we're gonna put a beat on. Let's use four. And the key here is that these filled in beats need to be as equidistant from each other as possible. So if we have eight empty beats and put accents on four of them, we get... Now, Rotation. Let's use the same pattern, eight beats, four accents, but we'll rotate the accents to start on the second beat, not the first. So that's what they call the backbeat in most of the music we listen to now. Without that, no Beatles, no Elvis, no Beyonce. Very quickly, we'll take this a little bit further. Let's take a pattern with eight steps and 5 in accents. Now, the accents can all be equidistant. Two of these beats will need to be next to each other. So, using these structures, we can create the bossa nova, the cumbia, nearly all the various traditional rhythms of African ethnomusicology. It seems this mathematical device has been intuitively present in our brains from the beginning of music. But where it got interesting with the carvings was when we looked at the emphasized characters. They seemed to suggest a Euclidean pattern. At first this was a bit baffling, but after your professor explained to me the prevalence of the number nine in anterran society, a light bulb clicked on. Nine steps. And rhythmically, what we got is this. The next thing we looked for is some sort of melodic structure. And again, we were running into walls, no pun intended, until we thought of the number nine. Our typical way of dividing up frequencies is the 12-tone system. I'm assuming most of you have at least seen a piano before, right? So between a root note and its octave, we have 12 tones. And a scale is a selection of notes out of those 12, usually seven plus the octave. So again, we'll use the number nine to create a scale of nine tones. So that scale gets us this. So, okay, that's how, that's how we got where we got. We have a rhythmic pattern, we have melodic structures, we apply them, and we get this. we don't know what instrument they used or what range meaning what octave they played this in let's imagine that we have some flutes you know most ancient cultures used wind instruments and also some drums skins tightened over some kind of resonator probably ceramic Uh, the drums would sound like this sound like this. All of this is cool. I mean, really cool. As an exercise in trying to hear music that's almost 80,000 years old. But what we found that, well, it blew our minds, honestly, is this. If you lower the octave down to the barely audible range, you get a beating. Where the waves start to disrupt each other. Again, this is super complicated mathematical stuff, but due to the phase relationships in the waves, they cancel each other out in parts and amplify each other in other parts. I know, I know, like I said, very mathematical, but what you get is this. is what we couldn't have expected. Those peaks and troughs, the pattern in the wave cancellations, they're spelling out pi. The ratio of a circumference of a circle to its radius, 3.141592, et cetera, et cetera, pi. Now, I'm a musician, not a historian, and definitely not a mathematician. But I can tell you that a culture that knows pi is far more advanced than anything we would have predicted for an early civilization like this. Remember, Neanderthals were walking around at this time. So just knowing that a number called pi exists is one thing. Knowing what it is, that's a whole other level of knowledge. And knowing how to reproduce it using sound waves? Honestly, if someone had brought that problem to us today, if someone said, hey, reproduce pi with sound, we would have been completely stumped. Just listen again. So all of this is to say that there's a level of sophistication in Antera that we did not know about. And from here, honestly, anything's possible. Anything.
0: Thank you, Dev. That is uh, fascinating. Uh, Really, I had no idea. Everyone, let's have a round of applause for Dev and his team for their work. This is world changing stuff, guys.
1: Are you did you deal with your family thing? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Look, I didn't actually go home. I mean, I did, but but um, not because of my family. Remember how I told you my parents are both academics? Yeah, well, they work at the university where Dr. Yo Li Chen worked before she went back to Beijing, the one who died last week. Yeah, and I broke into her office. No, Raquel. I, I thought if she was
0: working on Terra then maybe she had some information. Maybe we could figure
1: out if this whole thing is real or not. So, did you find anything? I did, and it's pretty fucking earth-shattering. What? It's a video. Hi, I think it's from the submarine. The one that went down. No, no way. You have to send it to me. Right now. Okay.
0: Uh,
1: okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm driving right now. Just pull over and send it to me, okay? Okay. But, oh, I'm like freaking shaking right now. I. I. I don't think this is for me. I'm not cut out to be a spy. Hey, 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 hey. Babe. <laughs> babe. Deep breaths. It's okay. You're okay. Okay. Okay, wait. I'm sending it right now. Okay, it just sent. Just watch it right now and. Give me a call back. Okay, I've got it. Listen, I'll call you back in two seconds. Hi, this is Raquel, leave a message. Why aren't you answering? Call me back.
0: Modes of thought in Interran literature. This podcast is made possible by Harvard University, a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Peeler Prize in Archaeological Literature, and the Harbage Family Trust, with an in-kind donation and production assistance from Wolf of the Door Studios. For more information and a reading list, please visit Modes of Thought Podcast.
1: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
0: Edgar said to the interviewer he was convinced that the thing out there wasn't a vault Yeah, all. I know what he thought. Dr. Eggers didn't think it was designed to keep things out. I know what he, he thought. He thought it was designed to keep something in. Do you even understand the difficulty trying to keep a base like Fathom at the bottom of the ocean from killing everyone in it on a daily basis?
1: Oh my God. Everyone hold on to something. I think whatever is on the other side of that door out there, it's not friendly. I think it's trying to get out. That, my friend, is a dire combination.
0: That's a bad sign.
1: Get out of the door!
0: It's spreading like some kind of technological contagion. We can either stop it here or watch the world burn. Fathom, the first season of Derelict. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Or learn more at derelictpodcast.com